Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. Year, we have been in an initiative called Pray, and that's exactly how we're going to kick off this word. God, we thank you so much for allowing us to gather here today. Lord, I thank you that I have been able to witness your glory for two services, but I believe there is something special you want to do in this one. I believe that you are not done pouring out your anointing, you are not done pouring out your healing power, and you are not done allowing people to experience your breakthrough today. And so I ask for everyone's heart to be open and to be expectant to what you want to do. And I thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be your vessel. I surrender this sermon to you. and your holy name we pray. Amen. Now, at the beginning of this year, I went to an island. Maybe some of you guys have heard of it before. I went to Puerto Rico with that little shorty right there. We went to celebrate her birthday because she's spoiled, so she wanted to go to Puerto Rico. I'm kidding. I love you. Went to Puerto Rico, and listen, I only had three goals because I'm a simple woman. The first goal that I had is I had to go to church's chicken. Now, if you don't know, the Puerto Ricans are laughing, because if you don't know, Church's Chicken is like the Chick-fil-A for us here. The lines are always long, but the food never misses. It's good every time, but it's not like how it is here. Trust me on that one. The second thing that I wanted to do is I wanted to ride the Jeep that we rented, because you're not doing Puerto Rico right if you're not riding a Jeep, okay? So that's what we did, and it was amazing. And the third thing that I wanted to do was go to the beach. Now, if you don't know me, I was born and raised in Orlando, Florida, and my birthday is in June. So I have literally been bred to be on the beach. And if you know, Puerto Rico has the best beaches, so I had to go. So we decided to pick out a beach that was TikTok famous, so you know it was good. Can we show a picture of the beach on the screen? Ooh, wow, nice, beautiful ride. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Until my friend told me, um, we actually might have to go on a hike in order to get there. And, you know, I'm a team player. So I was like, sure, a little hike, you know, get my steps in, get my cardio in. That's cute. Let me show you the sign of this trail. Can you put this picture up, please? There's a lot wrong here. There's a lot wrong here. Welcome to Survival Trail. I signed up for a vacation, not an episode of Survivor. What are we doing? It says it's physically challenging. Be prepared with water, clothes, shoes, some protection. Didn't have neither. Avoid dehydration and heat exhaustion. I was like, you said light trail. But since I'm Puerto Rican, I'm also stubborn. And when I put my mind to something, I'm going to get it done. So I was like, you know what? Let's just keep going. Let's see what happens. So we start walking on this trail. And at first, it's all cute. The path is clear. It's nice. We even had a guy start following us. That's how you know you're doing good, when someone's following your lead. So we started going. And I want to say about 20 to 25 minutes pass on this trail. And I start noticing some things. I start noticing that homeboy that was following us before, yeah, he nowhere to be found. In fact, I haven't seen anybody in the last 15 minutes of this hike. And then I saw that the water that was close to us, it ain't close to us anymore. In fact, we were going higher and higher and further away from this trail. And then I saw my friend 
who was leading the way, who had the directions, he's walking and he goes, hmm. Well, if I go up here, I don't really know where that's going to go. If I go down here, I don't really know where that's going to go. And then he proceeds to tell us that he's lost and he doesn't know how to get to where we're going. Even though he had a map of where we're going, and even though he had a picture of where we're going, no matter what we did, we could not find this beach that we were looking for. So we knew where we were going, and we knew how to get there, but no matter what we tried, we couldn't seem to find it. Finding our identity is a lot like walking on that trail. We know that our destination is who God says we are, and we have an idea on how to get there, but no matter how hard we try and no matter how long we search, it seems like we can never find it. That the deeper we get in the trail and the higher we climb and the more we walk down this path of trying to uncover our identity, it feels unreachable. Maybe you're listening to me today and you're already checking out. You're like, oh, Jaylene, there's a cute summer for my friend or for my family member who just found Jesus, but like I've been doing this Christian thing for a long time. Well, can I challenge you today? I can guarantee that you may be sitting here today and not know your true identity. How do I know? Well, if I were to ask you what your identity is, would you tell me your name? Would you tell me your job or your position? Maybe you would tell me your current relationship status or show me your last W-2. Maybe you would show a picture of your family or your favorite Bible verse, or you would tell me a story about how something crazy happened to you and how your life was changed and how you're the person that you always wanted to be. Well, if you knew who you really were, if you lost your job tomorrow, would you lose who you are too? If you knew who you really were, why are you still accepting that treatment in your relationship? If you knew who you really were, why do you work so hard to be noticed by your family and your friends? If you knew who you really were, then how come after all this time of trying so many things, you still feel empty and lost? If you knew who you really were, then how come every time you hear who God has appointed you to be, you have a hard time actually believing it? I don't know what questions you were asking yourself in regards to your identity today, but I came to answer one question, and it's the title of my sermon, Identity, Where Are You? Identity, Where Are You? <clears throat> Why do we even need to address this? Why is this something that we even need to talk about? Because we have a very real enemy, and all he cares about is trying to steal something that God has already given to you. And I have witnessed too many people allow him to come into their lives and snatch something that doesn't even belong to him. We know this to be true because we live in a culture that has an identity problem. Everybody and everything is trying to redefine something God has already given a definition to. Here's why it's so important for you to know where your identity is. Because you will either live up to or you will either live down to whatever it is that you believe to be true about who you are. And when you know who you are, it will also determine where you're going. This issue of identity is so crucial for us to understand that it is constantly addressed throughout the entire scriptures. We see this as a reoccurring issue in all of the stories. In fact, identity is a theological thread that is studied throughout the entire book of the Bible. And I think the reason why the Bible keeps trying to address this issue is because it's a question that we keep asking ourselves and keep forgetting the answer to. And it's as if God is trying to capture your attention even for a moment so you can finally hear how he really feels about you. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. To put it simply, before you had a birth certificate, you had a birthright. Did you hear what I said? That before you had 
a birth certificate, you had a birthright. You better underline this, write it down, circle it in your notes, because that means that before the world even had a chance to define you, God already claimed you. That means that every single part of you is wrapped in God's DNA. That before you even knew your name, God gave you a name. Before anybody ever noticed you, God already set you apart. Before your parents ever knew your talents, God already gave you gifts. Before you saw yourself in the mirror, God made you in his image. And before this world tried to give you a purpose, God gave you an identity. And my only goal and my only hope here today is to help you discover the identity that God has given to you. Because I believe when you uncover this truth, it changes everything. So do you want to know who God made you to be? Cool. Well, I first have to tell you what identity isn't. Now, I have struggled with every single one of these things, so this is not for me to call you out. We are in this together. The first thing is your identity is not rooted in your past. I'm going to be going into John 8, 4 through 11, and it said Jesus was teaching to a crowd, and the Pharisees came and threw a woman in front of him. And scripture reads this way. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, but what do you say? They were trying to trap him to saying something that they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. This woman had a past, and people wanted to condemn her for it. They even wanted Jesus to judge her for it. But instead, he loved her and called her higher. It's not that he ignored her sin. It's that he saw past her sin because her past is not who she was. There are people in this room that can't accept the identity God wants to give to them because you are carrying the lie of shame. And you think that your identity is rooted on the mistake that you made and that there's no way that you can shape the identity of your failure. But here's the lie of shame. Shame says instead of you did a bad thing, that you are the bad thing, that you are the problem, that you are undeserving, that you are unworthy. But I came to encourage you today that God feels the very opposite about your life. I heard it this way. Failure is what you did, but forgiven is who you are. Failure is what you did, but forgiven is who you are. 1 John 2.12, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Hear me, your history may have marked you, but does not have the authorization to label you. Circumstances may have made things difficult for you, but is not powerful enough to define you. Only the one who gave you life has the authority to identify you. So don't let your past keep you from finding who you are. Your identity is not rooted in your possessions. There's a game that I played growing up. Maybe some of you played it too. Can we put a picture on the screen of it? The game of life. Raise your hand if you ever played this game. Listen, I was playing this game, nine years old, stressed out. Because in one turn, I got married, had two twin girls, and bankrupt. Like, what even happened? I don't know why my mom would let me play that game. My hair was falling out playing it. But I used to love it because I'm very competitive. And the way to win is very simple. And I looked it up just in case nobody believed me. And it says, the intent of the game is to have the most assets at the end of the game. 
assets are primarily by working and earning tokens with dollar amounts on them. But the way to win was simple, by having the most stuff. And as I got older, I realized that this game is not all that different from real life. Because when we introduce ourselves, we say our names, and then what do we say? What do you do? And immediately your value is based on your income, your position, and what you obtain. And without realizing it, you base who you are on what you do. Here's the problem with that. If you base your identity on what you do, when you lose that, then you'll also lose who you are. Now this next part is for all the people in the room who are, who are currently devoted in church, who currently serve. I really feel led, I have to say this to you, and please don't get offended. I say this with love. love I love you too. Your identity is not your calling. You are not the sermons you write. You are not the songs you sing. You are not the meetings you lead. You are not the team you lead. You are not the team you are a part of. This cannot be your identity because if this is your identity, then Christianity will always feel like a job and not like a joy. And let me be clear, because we're a church that leads from the front. This is not who I am. This is not my identity. If I made this my identity, the moment I walked off this pulpit and I don't hear a good job or you did a great job, then I will feel defeated. But because my identity is in the one who made me, my only concern when I come off this stage is that I was obedient to the one who asked me to do this in the first place. My only concern is to please him and to make him happy. But if I made this my identity, I will always base my value in what I do and not in who who I love. I wrote it this way. Your identity is not based on what you do, but who you seek. When we meet God face to face one day, he's not going to say, well done, good and faithful doctor, or well done, good and faithful teacher, or well done, good and faithful preacher, or well done, good and faithful worship leader. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that word servant is intentional because it tells you who you belong to. And I don't know about you, but the day that I meet God face to face, I want him to know me by the way I loved him and by the way I helped others love him too. Amen? Amen? So don't root your identity in your possessions. Your identity is not rooted in your pain. Mark 5, 26 through 28. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She has suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she has spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. What's crazy to me about this story is that this woman is famously known as the bleeding woman. But before this, she had a name. But because she was so consumed by her pain, everybody identified her by her issue. And it even says that at this time, she was deemed unworthy, so no one could be around her and no one wanted to touch her or even be engaged with her. Can you imagine the amount of emotional pain that she experienced? That she had to suffer consequences of something that was not even her fault. And there are many of us who also identify ourselves by our pain. The pain of what our parents did, of what they said about you growing up and even continued to say. We identify ourselves by the pain of how that person hurt you or what they did to you. Maybe your identity is a scorned ex-girlfriend or boyfriend. You're with someone that you thought would be forever and then they broke your heart and tossed you away like you never mattered. 
Maybe you wear the identity of being a widow because no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to look past your grief. Maybe you wear the identity of a woman who can't bear children and this makes you feel like you're broken. Or maybe you wear the identity of being a son with no father and you wonder what you did to make your father not care for you or love you enough to stay. Or maybe you wear the identity of a lonely single, convinced that you would never find your person. Or maybe you wear the identity of being damaged because you feel like too much has happened to you, that your story has too much pain, and there's no way that God can heal the open wounds in your heart. I don't know what pain you are identifying yourself with today, but I do know that God does not want you to stay there. Here's how the bleeding woman's story ends. Mark 5, 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, your suffering is over. You see, she started without a name, only being identified by her pain. And at this moment, he called her daughter and told her that her suffering was over. So not only did he hear her physical pain, he also healed her emotional pain and reminded her of the identity that she always had in him. I want to remind you that it doesn't matter how heavy your pain is, how long you've been living with it, when you allow Jesus to get in that situation, when you allow him to come and heal that wound, he has the power to not only heal your pain, but to also reinstate the identity that he had always given to you. To make it easier to remember, I wrote, my scars don't define me, my Savior defines me. Come on, my scars don't define me, but my Savior defines me. No longer are you marked by your pain, now you are marked by your Savior. And when you put your pain next to the everlasting God, it's a whole lot less smaller and the pain feels a whole lot lighter in comparison to how good and how beautiful and how sovereign your God is. Amen? So my scars don't define me, my Savior defines me. Now, for the rest of the sermon, I want to talk to you about what your identity is. That's why you came here today, right? So to help me, I'm going to unpack the story of Abraham. If you're not familiar with the story of Abraham, he is someone who is very well known in the Bible. God uses him to fulfill many promises. But actually, Abraham's original name was Abram. People in the back, you see this? Yeah? You can see it? Cool. Abram's name came from his earthly father, Terah, and this meant exalted father. And then in Genesis chapter 17, we see that God changes his name to Abraham. And this means father of many nations. Now, every time that Abraham's story is talked about in the Bible, everyone always mentions his name change. And everyone always says that his name changed or his identity changed when his name got changed. But I kind of have a problem with that because if we see, what's the common denominator in his names? They both mean father. So the identity couldn't have changed when his name changed because they mean the same thing. So then I thought it couldn't have been what the name meant. It had to have been the authority of where his name came from that changed his identity. But then I struggle with that as well because Abram already was following God before his name was Abraham. God was already the Lord of his life. So I thought his identity couldn't have changed when his name changed because he was already following Jesus. And I think that Abraham's identity changed not when the authority changed, but when the acceptance changed. 
Did you catch it? It's not that when the authority changed, that, that is when his identity got changed. It was when the acceptance of his name changed. And here's where we struggle. I titled this sermon, Identity, Where Are You? Because we mistake an identity as something that is lost and needs to be found. But in reality, identity is something that was offered and needs to be accepted. I'm going to say it again. This is the mistake we make with our identity. We think that our identity is something that was lost and needed to be found. But in reality, it's something that is offered and needs to be accepted. Abraham's story confirms that you can be a Christian following God and still not accept the identity that he has called you to. So as I was preparing for this sermon, I asked the Lord, if I had to summarize identity in one, one sentence, what would it be? And he gave it to me. But before you write it down, I want to ask you to just hear me and to receive it because it's going to seem so simple that it's going to go right over your head and you will keep searching for your identity and this sermon will not change you. I need you to just listen to what God has asked me to share with you. If I had to summarize your identity in one sentence, it would be, you were created to receive his love. I'm going to say it again. You were created to receive his love. I know you've probably heard this so many times, as have I, but I need you to really think about this, that the sole purpose, the identity God has given to you is simply to receive the love that he wants to give you. That before you do any action, before he gives you any purpose, before you step out in your calling, he wants you to receive his love first. I remember when this became very true for my life. You see, in 2021, I went through a life-changing situation. In 2021, I got a sudden call that my father had passed away. And when I mean sudden, I mean it was sudden. One day he was alive, and the next day he just wasn't. And I remember when I was driving to his house where he passed away, I thought to myself, I will never be the same. I thought to myself, the world will always look different. My future is going to look different. Everything that I thought would come would always have his absence. And as my heart was breaking and my world was shattering, my identity wasn't moved. I remember thinking to myself that no matter how hard this was and no matter how heartbreaking this is, my identity could not have changed because my identity was rooted in this very simple truth that before he asked me to do anything, he created me to be loved by him. And I know that you know this. You want to know how I know? Because what's the first thing that you do when something bad happens to you? What's the first thing that you do when you experience some type of pain in your life? It doesn't matter how long you haven't prayed. It doesn't matter how long you haven't gone to church. It doesn't matter how long you haven't connected with that friend that reminds you how good God is. We always end up going to Jesus and be like, hey, God, it's me again. So sorry I haven't prayed to you in a while, but I need your help right now. It's because our soul knows, our very core of who we are knows that our identity has been created to lift our hands to our creator and say, Lord, I need you to come and help me. I need you to come and deliver me. I need you to come and help me 
see the good in this situation, and that is why it doesn't make sense that you're still here. It doesn't make sense that you're still here after what happened to you, after what that person did to you, after the mistakes you have made, after the pain you have experienced. The only explanation that can explain that is because deep down in the core of who you are, you knew that you were made to receive his love. At the root of all of us, we just want to be loved. We go our whole lives searching for something that will love us back. We put our identity in a job, hoping it will love us back. We put our identity in being a mom, hoping our kids would love us back. We put our identity in a person, hoping that they would love us back. And then we go on this continuous cycle of wanting to be loved by something when God has always been there to love us all along. But when you realize that the identity that God has given you is simply to be loved, what's more free than that? That this is an identity I don't have to work for? This is an identity I didn't have to earn? You're telling me this is an identity I didn't have to convince anybody about? But that I was born with God already convinced that he loved me and that he saw value in me. I don't know about you, but that frees me. So in case you missed it, your identity is that you are loved, that you are his masterpiece, that you have been set apart, that your life is intentional and it was created on purpose because there was a God that thought of you and there was a God that wanted you to be born, not for you to do anything, but for you to receive everything of which who he is. So identity, where are you? It's been in front of you all along. All this time, the answer has always been right there. Last year, I made the best purchase of my life. I went and got an eye exam. <laughs> now, like I said before, I'm stubborn. So when I was squinting while I was driving and the car started looking like blobs, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. But eventually I was like, okay, you know, it's time. I'm gonna get glasses. And I remember when I first got my glasses, I put my glasses on, I was shook. I was like, y'all been seeing the world like this this whole time? Green don't even look like green anymore. Like everything was so vibrant. I was so shocked. And I remember telling myself, I can never go another day without my glasses again. I can never not wear my contacts now that I know that the world was meant to be seen in this way. And your identity is the same way. When you see it and when you realize it, you can't unsee it and your life will never be the same. Because once your heart hears the truth, it will be changed. So Romans 8, 38 through 39 says, I love this verse. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That means that this identity, it cannot be taken from you. It cannot be separated from you. God won't change his mind about you. This identity will be constant. It will always stay and it is secured because it is rooted in the love of Christ. And when you finally accept it, your broken doesn't look the same anymore. Your pain doesn't look the same anymore. How you love others doesn't look the same anymore. How you approach conflict does not look the same anymore. And how you pursue Jesus will not look the same anymore. 
So now that you know your identity is rooted in Jesus, we need to know how to walk in our identity and what that looks like. We see in Genesis 17:1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. Blameless in this context means wholeheartedly with all of you. So this verse indicates that to walk in our identity, we must first serve him faithfully and with all that we have. But in 10 minutes, <laughs> I'm going to tell you how to walk in your identity. The first point I have is walk in patience. Genesis 15, 1 through 5. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Elizar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, yo, God's a G. He was like, you can try. You can try. But then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram was known as a father of faith and not the father of patience for a reason. Because in chapter 16, his wife Sarai goes up to him and says, listen, man, God didn't give me no children, so I'm going to you to go with Hagar and do your thing so we can have some kids. Now, this is how I know Abraham was being impatient because all the Bible says was his response was, Abraham agreed. What a guy. He's like, okay, whatever you say, okay. <laughs> Abraham agreed. And I think the reason why he agreed is because in his heart, he was dealing with impatience. Because if he was really waiting on the Lord, he would have told her, girl, you better sit down. God told me he's going to give me some kids. You better deal with that with God and go ahead and pray because I am not acting out of what God asked me to do, Okay. But he led with his impatience. Do we have any Harry Potter fans in the house? Yo, all the Hispanic parents are like, not today. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. Harry Potter ain't in here today. <laughs> Harry Potter has sold over 500 million copies worldwide. Every book made it to number one on the USA Today bestseller list. J.K. Rowling is known as the highest paid author in the world. And Harry Potter has been adapted into movies that have grossed over $8 billion at the box office worldwide, a Broadway show, and even has a permanent place in our Universal Studios theme park. But did you also know that she got rejected by 12 publishers? And by the time her first book was published, seven years had passed from when she wrote the original book. Can you imagine if she would have been impatient? All the things that she would have missed out on. I say it like this, do not grow impatient, grow in patience. Do not grow impatient, grow in patience. Yeah. I know you have been waiting for years to step into your purpose, and I know you've been holding on and doing what God has instructed you to do, but he told me today to tell you, if he hasn't elevated you, he's still developing you. If he hasn't elevated you, he's still developing you. There are things he still wants to do in your soul and in your heart, things he wants to take out of your character, things that he wants to use to teach you, to get you to where you need to go, and to do it well and with honor. I heard a pastor once say that inadequacy has stolen just as much assignments for the kingdom of God as pride. And I was shook when he said that. He could have stopped preaching right there, and I would have been on the altar in tears getting saved. But I was talking about this with the Lord the other day, and he said, 
Jalen does another thing that has stolen just as many assignments as pride and inadequacy. Impatience has stolen just as much assignments for the kingdom of God as pride and inadequacy. Because too many people sacrifice their calling because they don't want to wait. And I don't know about you, but that's too great of a cost for me to rush God out of what he wants to do to me. I would much rather be patient and see his hand in my life than try to create something that he never meant for me. Another reason why Abraham probably didn't push back when Sarai told him to do the deed is because at that time it was acceptable to do that if a woman couldn't, if a woman couldn't conceive. So at this time it wasn't scandalous for him to do it. The scandal is not him doing it, but the scandal was that he didn't wait on God. He traded God's promise for culture's promise. But we weren't called to follow culture, we were called to follow God. So don't grow impatient, grow in patience. The second thing that we must do is walk in trust. Genesis 17, three through eight. Abram fell down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. What's really wild about the story is that at this point in Abraham's story, he still had no kids. He had his thing with Hagar, but he still didn't have the rightful heir. So can you imagine Abraham having to introduce himself to someone? Hello, my name is Abraham, father of many nations. The guy listening to him probably be like, bro, are you crazy? You ain't got no kids. You have no one around you. He had nothing to validate his name. I think God did that intentionally because God wanted to trust in him and not in what he gave him. Like I mentioned before, I was in Puerto Rico, and my friend and I decided to go bioluminescent kayaking. Has anyone ever done that? It's pretty boss. It's basically like twinkly lights in the water. It's really cool. I don't know how to explain it. You just have to do it yourself. And I remember we went kayaking, and the instructor was like, okay, here's how it's going to go. The first, the person in the back is the stronger person. So of course, I booted my friend out the way and I was like, excuse me, that would be your girl. Nah, I'm just kidding. I'm just stronger because I'm taller, but she's small but mighty. Don't let her fool you. So when she sat in the front, he said that the person in the front has to lead the way. Now I need you to understand, it is pitch black outside. I could not see a thing. The only option that I had was to trust that she was going to lead me to where we needed to go. And so I remember I told her when we started paddling, communicate to me which way we are going so I know how to follow your lead. And I was able to trust her because I know that she had the best intentions for me. See, we experience distrust with God when what he said and what we are experiencing doesn't look the same or it isn't even in alignment. God called me to be a pastor, but I haven't gone to Bible school. God called me to be a mother or a father, but I'm struggling to have kids. God said that I'll be financially blessed, but I'm struggling to pay my mortgage this month. God said that I would be a leader, but have no people to lead. God said that I would be loved, but there's no husband or wife in sight. We live our lives based on what we see instead of what we know. And then we wonder why we are unhappy or we felt like we missed the mark. Proverbs 3 to 5 tells us, 
trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. See, the Greek word of trust is baltak, and it means confidence. So if we apply it to this verse, really what God is saying, have confidence in me. And when I think of it that way, it's a lot easier to have confidence in the Lord because I have a rap she as long as a Walgreens receipt showing me how good God has been to me, how he has saved me, how he has saved my family, how he has saved my church. I have a Bible full of scripture reminding me that he is a God who is consistent that he is a God who keeps showing up for his people. I don't need to have trust. I need to have confidence in what he has told me to be true. And what he tells me to be true is that he's good for me. And I know that because I have seen that all the days of my life. Every single time I think of who the Lord has been, I have a lot of confidence on who he is because of who he's been to me. The last point is walk in Jesus. Genesis 22:2. Then God said, "Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you." We're going to skip to verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a land on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. At this moment, God asked Abraham to kill his only son. And God knew with the weight of what he was asking because he kept saying only. Abraham wasn't just killing his son whom he loved. Abraham was actually killing the very thing that brought validation to his name. Because Abraham's name meant father of many nations, and he wouldn't be a father without his son. What's so interesting is that Abraham did not reluctantly offer up Isaac. He did not put up a fight. Abraham's story before the sacrifice is that he can be exceptionally faithful, like when he left his father's house, but he can also be shaky in his faith, like when he did his thing with Hagar. But this test is different. He had a non-reluctance. Why is that? We're going to read Hebrews 11:17 through 19. This is the same account, but from a different perspective. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God has said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. I looked at the Greek word of identity, and it is sundesmos, that which binds together, a bond. So that means that our identity is literally bonded to something. And all the way up until this point, we see that Abraham's identity is bonded to what he had or what he didn't have. But what makes this so different is that Abraham had his identity bonded to something higher than him. I'm going to reread Hebrews in case you missed it, and check what I highlighted. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God has said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. 
he who embraced the promises. In other words, he whose identity was tied to the promise maker was confident that God would come through. His identity was bonded to his savior and not to his situation. I don't know what your identity is bonded in today. I don't know if it's in a person. I don't know if it's in a situation. I don't know if it's in a circumstance, but I have come here today as a witness to testify that God wants you to bond your identity to something higher. He wants you to bond your identity to something that will never change, something that hasn't failed, something that will never fail, something that is constant, something that is the strongest thing in all creation. He has called you to bond your identity to Him. And I stand before you as a witness, as someone who has bonded my identity to my King that I can stand before you no matter what has happened to me, no matter what I've witnessed, no matter what circumstances I may have gone through, because my identity isn't bonded into something that can fail me, isn't bonded into something that is temporary, but my identity has been bonded to a king and my life has never been the same. And so I encourage you today, whatever it is that your life is bonded to, whatever it is that you're allowing your identity to be attached to, God has encountered you today to let you know that the only thing he has called you to is to be loved by him. The only thing your identity is made to do is to receive his love. And there is nothing, and I mean we could search the world, and there's not a love that will come close to this one. There's not a love that will come close to this. And so I want you to all stand to your feet because I want us to bond our identity to this kind of kindness that the Lord gives, to this type of power that the Lord gives, this type of love that the Lord gives that has been offered to you ever since the moment you were born, you already had the identity he gave to you. And so if we can all bow our head and close our eyes, I'm going to pray two prayers, and the first prayer is going to be for the group of people who do know God, who are Christian, but you seem like you can't find this identity that we read about, that we talk about all the time. Father, I thank you for this people. I thank you for the courage to come into this place and to receive your goodness. Lord, I pray that right now you remind them the identity that you have given to them. I pray that you remind them that you have made them with intention, that when you see them, you see beauty, that you are simply proud of them, not because because of anything that they have done, but because of who you say that they are, Lord, that we can receive your love freely because that is the kind of God you are. I pray that when they leave this place, they know the identity that you have given to them. And my second prayer is going to be for the people in this room who don't know Christ as Lord, or maybe it's been a long time since you have. I'm going to count to three. And when I say three, I want you to raise your hand as an act of surrenderance to receive the identity that he wants you to be bonded to today. One, he wants you to walk in his promises. Two, he wants to welcome you home. Three, go ahead and raise your hand if you want to receive the identity that he has given to you. Amen, amen. There are hands all across this building. Glory to God. Church, let's not let them pray this prayer. We're going to pray this together. Father God, today I surrender my identity to you. I don't want to walk this path without you anymore. Today I surrender my heart. Forgive my sins. I love you, Jesus. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Can we get up for all those who gave their lives to Jesus today?
We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.